Not everything in life is what it seems, because even salt looks like sugar. Greetings from the dark side of the pomegranate. I am your host, Billy Hoosh. Welcome to Even Salt Looks Like Sugar, a podcast that explores true crime, paranormal activity, and unsolved mysteries. This series discusses difficult and distressing subject matter. Listener discretion is advised. Hello, everyone. We are officially in season two of Even Salt Looks Like Sugar. Life has been busy, but it hasn't been a race. Well, maybe some days, it's hard to believe we have come so far as we are now in 2021 and on the 11th episode. But truth be told, we could not have done it without you. So to all you listening today, thank you. As you can tell, we've also made some changes to the podcast too. If you are new here, welcome. If you are not, welcome back. Now on with the show. With a population of almost 15 million, Ontario, Canada is the most populated province in the Great White North. Home to Niagara Falls and Toronto, Ontario is a place I like to call home, as I have lived here practically my entire life. Ontario is also home to some of the most sinister crimes ever imaginable. For today's episode, Even Salt Looks Like Sugar has decided to dive deep into the diabolical and explore the worst crimes to ever hit the Heartland Province. Yes, you heard me right. The Worst Crimes in Ontario, Canada. Episode 11. Worst Crimes in Ontario, Canada. Ontario is the second largest province in Canada. And like any other vibrant, multicultured diaspora, the diabolical always seems to be lurking in the shadows. The way a human being thinks, feels, and acts fundamentally serve their reason and their purpose for living here on Earth. And although their environment as well as genetic makeup are said to play an eminent role in their human development, cultural upbringing, rejection by society, traumatic influence, and free will 
also have their place. Metaphysics examines the relationship between the set of faculties responsible for our mental and emotional state of well-being and the substances that physically exist. If we are to dive deeper into this logic, this also introduces us to emotional behavior such as fear, jealousy, and disgust. This would also explain more than a socio-economic narrative, but a systemic enumeration that slowly alters a human being's behavior and how they deal with it. Perhaps they have totally given up and choose to embrace the unorthodox malevolence. Thus, we may never know. Humanism is the foundation for humanity. It is centered around the conception of free will, the reason we exist, and the progression we make. Every single emotion we possess is a reaction, a reaction so instinctive, yet so normal. But what happens when individuals go beyond the normality of their own behavior and find clarity within the realm of the diabolical? Not everything in life is what it seems, because even salt looks like sugar. Some of the worst monsters are wolves in sheep's clothing. They look like you, they look like me, and they are among us. And sometimes when you think they will get caught, they never do. Luckily, Christian Herbert McGee did. Known as the Mad Slasher, the Strathroy, Ontario serial killer brutally raped three women from 1974 to 1976. After he raped them, he strangled them before he stabbed and slit their throats. McGee, a victim of child abuse, was a high school dropout, an alcoholic, and a junkie who was meticulous about appearing sane. In fact, the mad slasher had a history of criminal behavior, having shared that he committed his first act at the age of 10. McGee was apprehended in June of 1976 at the age of 28, and only a year later he was found not guilty by reason of insanity. Because of this, he avoided prison entirely. His victims, 19-year-old Patricia Jenner, who was murdered on October 20th, 1975, 19-year-old Judith Barksy, who was killed on March 2nd, 1974, and 15-year-old Susan Scholes, who was killed on June 15th, 1976, never received justice. Today, McGee is in his early 70s and currently resides 
in Penetanguishene Mental Health Center in Penetanguishene, Ontario. On September 16, 1956, the body of six-year-old Wayne Mallette was found by Toronto police. Not even one month later, on October 6, 1956, the body of nine-year-old Gary Morris was recovered. With multiple leads, authorities did not have a suspect. The similarity of the crimes allowed authorities to start to connect dots. Then on January 19, 1957, the body of four-year-old Carol Voice was recovered. 17-year-old Peter Woodcock, who later would change his name to David Kruger, rode around Toronto, Ontario on his red bicycle where he would target his victims. In and out of foster care, Woodcock had a modus operandi like many serial killers. However, this never raised issues of concern because no one had any idea who he truly was. Many people, witnesses, saw him in the area when Voice was murdered, including near the crime scene. Only days later, on January 21st, 1957, Woodcock was arrested. He admitted to raping and killing his victims, as well as torturing, defecating, and even urinating on them. Several months later, Woodcock was found not guilty by reason of insanity, and like Christian McGee, was sent to the Penetanguishene Mental Health Center. In the summer of 1991, Woodcock and fellow serial killer Bruce Hamill, who somehow was released from the same mental hospital after killing a 58-year-old New Edinburgh woman and had worked as a security guard at the time, beat, raped, tortured, and murdered fellow inmate Dennis Kerr. Woodcock died on his 71st birthday on March 5th of 2010. Cause of death, natural causes. He really thought that he was gifted, that God gift him, you know, uh, of, of that ability to do uh, operations, to do surgeries. But one rock, you know, played the doctor, it was Frankenstein. Some of the most diabolical, sinister acts of human nature cannot be understood nor explained. One of those acts was by Mose, also known as Rock Terrio. Terrio was a man with imagination who took his love for lore and his love for gore to new heights and depths by leading a religious organization in Burnt River, Ontario. Having claimed to be a prophet sent from God 
Ontario created the group, the Ant Hill Kids, using the pseudonym Mose. He managed to recruit almost 50 people in the Doomsday Cult. However, what made this group different from many was the monstrous abuse inflicted by Terrio himself. Not only would he torture those who he felt wronged him, he would go on to conduct operations on individual members without any anesthetic. He would often mutilate members and make bogus claims that the mutilation would help them. He would perform circumcisions on male members without any anesthetic and suck their penises after they bled claiming Christ instructed him to do so. One of the little boys died as a result of his injuries. Many members died at the hands of Terio as the lunatic lord of death would claim his powers would heal them. Most of the time he performed surgeries or would create special diets for those members already dying that would lead them to their demise. He even believed he could bring the female members back by sawing up their corpses and ejaculating into their cavity. And despite his barbaric and malevolent torture he inflicted upon them, some lived through it. In fact, some lived to tell their story. One of those people being Gabrielle Lavallee. It was Lavallee's bravery that brought Rock Therio to justice when she informed authorities about the torture she endured, as well as the deaths of members, including 21-year-old Solange Boiliard. On January 18, 1993, Terrio was sentenced to life in prison. On Saturday, February 26, of 2011, Terrio was stabbed in the neck while serving his sentence in prison by his former cellmate, Matthew McDonald, after an argument. Rock Terrio is currently deceased. At one point, either to punish Gabrielle or to punish this baby for crying, Rock ordered that the child be left uh, wrapped in a flimsy blanket in a wheelbarrow outside it was the middle of winter. The temperature was minus 10 or minus 15 degrees and left there uh, for several hours. When the child was next checked, it was dead. If you're enjoying tonight's episode of Even Salt Looks Like Sugar, please subscribe to us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Google Podcasts, Amazon, Stitcher, Spreaker, or wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Also visit our official website, evensaltlookslikesugar.com. Thank you for listening. Saturday, July the 15th of 1871 
seemed like every other morning for Phoebe and her husband George Campbell of Thorndale, Ontario, until George was murdered. George was hacked to death with an axe before being chopped into pieces. His wife Phoebe alleged that multiple men were involved as they attempted to rob her husband. However, after a thorough investigation, suspicions grew rapidly towards Phoebe. Despite their suspicions, over five men were arrested, including a man by the name of Thomas Coyle. Authorities wondered why George's now widow never attempted to save her husband and why she was seen by various people in the area talking to Coyle. Not only were her stories extremely inconsistent, but she showed zero emotion and had no alibis. She continued to deny involvement, even went so far to blame other relatives, including her cousin. Despite her relentless denials, Phoebe Campbell was sentenced to death by hanging. She eventually confessed to the crime. She told the courts that she and Thomas Coyle were in love and had planned to kill George Campbell so they could get married. Eventually, all charges were dropped for Thomas and he was acquitted. Phoebe Campbell died on Thursday, June the 20th, 1872. She was 25 years old. Thursday, December the 3rd of 2009 seemed like an exciting day in Wallaceburg, Ontario for 10-year-old Tyler Bernard and 6-year-old Taya Talbot. They had plans to spend time with their grandmother, 50-year-old Jane LaMarche. LaMarche promised her daughter, Tyler, and Taya's mother, Stephanie Bernard, she would make sure to have both Tyler and Taya back in a 20-minute time frame. However, LaMarche lied. She took them to Taco Bell to eat. Afterwards, she drove around Wallaceburg looking at Christmas lights shortly before speeding profusely through the area. Her 12-year-old daughter, Jennifer LaMarche, was the passenger side of the car, and at around 7.10 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, Jane LaMarche made a U-turn before speeding towards the St. Clair River. Her daughter Jennifer begged her mother to stop, but her mother would not. Jane LaMarche finally said, Oh my God, guys, I'm so sorry, before driving her car into the river. She purposely opened her window so both 10-year-old Tyler Bernard and 6-year-old Taya Talbot would drown to death. And although she and her daughter swam across the river, both Tyler and Taya drowned. These innocent children trusted their grandmother 
and she failed them. The justice system also failed these children by letting this degenerate out of prison. It was later discovered Jane LaMarche had a history of suicidal thoughts and schizophrenia. In fact, she confided into several doctors prior that she had plans to kill her grandchildren, daughter, and herself. Jane LaMarche served about a decade in prison, and as of February the 11th of 2020, she has since been released. I either I'm a liar or I'm not a liar, and I'm not a liar. But you guys are trying to paint me as one. The public, according to the public, they, they turned on the TV in September of last year, and I was this crazy liar. Uh, that's what the TV reported, and not only did they report it there, they wrote it on my file. I've got it right myself. Paul Bernardo, Appeal uh, Regional said Paul Bernardo lied to police about uh, crimes he didn't commit. Sometimes I wonder why people commit the crimes they do. And oftentimes I realize that it's hard to understand someone who you can't relate to in any shape or form. Paul Bernardo and his then wife, Carla Homolka, are these people. Known as the Ken and Barbie killers, Bernardo was also known as the Scarborough rapist and the schoolgirl killer. Together, the deadly duo managed to rape, torture, and murder three innocent young women in a year and a half time span, from late 1990 until mid-1992, before being apprehended almost a year later in February of 1993. Their victims include 15-year-old Christian French, 15-year-old Tammy Holmolka, and 14-year-old Lindsay Mahaffey. The girls were stalked, involuntarily drugged by Holmolka herself, then tortured, raped, beaten, and strangled by Bernardo. An unidentified 15-year-old Jane Doe managed to escape when encountering the diabolical duo. It was later discovered that Paul Bernardo raped over 20 women from 1987 until 1990. It is believed some victims have yet to be identified, and some are actual Jane Doe's. Scarborough, Ontario has never fully recovered from this tragedy but hopefully will in the future. Paul Bernardo is currently incarcerated at the Millhaven Institution located in Bath, Ontario. Carla Homolka served 12 years in prison and has since been released. It's no secret that Canada is suffering from a major drug problem and has been for years. And just when you think it gets better, it only gets worse. In June of 2010, Canadian Border Service agents seized almost 35 pounds of heroin at the Toronto Pearson Airport, which was hidden in almost 30 Persian carpets. Upon further investigation, police discovered 353 pounds of amphetamine, 53 pounds of heroin, and 44 pounds of ecstasy, 9 pounds of crystal meth, 2 pounds of cocaine, 
and about a pound of opium. The drugs were originally shipped from Pakistan, including the carpets, where over half the heroin was stored. The ephedrine was shipped from India. Tajuddin Fanayakod, Saidi Sanay Ulufke, and Peter Ajiri from Toronto were apprehended and charged for multiple offenses, including importing drugs into Canada and possession for the purpose of trafficking. Akim Onalala from Mississauga was also charged. Although this particular crime isn't a murder, it is by far one of the worst crimes to ever hit the Heartland province. Ontario is a place to stand and a place to grow, not a place for drugs. What happens when the man in blue who made the oath to protect you becomes the enemy? On May 6, 1970, 34-year-old Doreen Morby was found lifeless in her Gormley home. She was shot dead. Covered in blood, her 21-month-old son laid near her. Not even a week later, 38-year-old Helen Ferguson was discovered dead in her Palgrave home, having died the exact same way with the exact same weapon, a 22 caliber Lakefield Mossberg rifle. The authorities had no way of knowing who the perpetrator was, but managed to nickname him the 22 caliber killer due to his weapon of choice and connection to multiple crimes in the area. But with the help of West's ex-wife, Rihanna LeCoro, who supplied DNA samples of West, there was a break in the case. And thanks to advanced forensic technology, almost 30 years later, the corrupt cop was charged in August of 1999 for the deaths of Doreen Morby and Helen Ferguson. Additionally, he attempted to murder another housewife, but was unsuccessful as she lived despite being threatened and shot. Furthermore, West was the person of interest in another homicide, but was not charged with the crime due to insufficient evidence. Now in his late 70s, Robert Glenn West is currently serving life in prison. School shootings have been happening a lot longer than what you realize. However, none of them seem to compare to what happened over four decades ago. On Monday, October the 27th, 1975, 18-year-old Robert Poulin opened fired at the St. Pius X High School located in Ottawa, Ontario. Poulin shot multiple students, killing one and injuring five. It was later discovered that Poulin was obsessed with pornography, which was his primary motive for brutally raping, torturing, and stabbing 17-year-old Kim Rabot to death earlier in the day. After Poulin didn't receive his fix, 
he marched straight into the Ottawa school where he killed 17-year-old Mark Hugh, one of his victims who sadly passed away due to his injuries before turning the gun on himself. Poulin died shortly after from a single blow to the head. In early 2016, the CBC News published the article with Joanne Logan, one of the survivors of this tragedy. Not only was this second school shooting ever in Canada, but quite possibly one of the most devastating events in Ontario's history. On Thursday, January 28th, 2010, 27-year-old Jessica Floyd of Belleville sent her final message. Shortly after, she was declared missing. Just a few months prior, 38-year-old Corporal Marie France Camot was stalked, raped, and murdered. It was discovered that Colonel Russell Williams was behind both crimes. It was also discovered Williams led a double life that was so fucked up, you just couldn't make it up. Luckily, video footage revealed the truth. Williams was charged with two counts of first-degree murder sexual assault, forcible confinement, and breaking and entering. As of February the 8th of 2010, he is serving a life sentence at Port Cartier Institution. Some of the most gruesome acts of human nature cannot be understood nor explained. The darkness of the world is a reaction to the good, just as the good is the reaction to the bad. Dellen Millard and Mark Smitch both had a reputation for being somewhat rebellious and mischievous. Both were petty criminals, but many believed they would turn their lives around. Sadly, that just didn't happen. On May 6th of 2013, 32-year-old Tim Bosma from Hamilton, Ontario, responded to two men who inquired about buying his pickup truck. The two men happened to be Millard and Smitch. After asking him if they could test drive the vehicle, he left with them. After failing to return, his wife alerted police. And after years of investigation, both were apprehended in June of 2016. This opened the doors to several unsolved cases, which eventually linked both Millard and Smitch to the crimes. This includes the death of Laura Babcock and Wayne Millard. Then in September of 2018, both were charged with first-degree murder 
and are currently serving 75 years to life in prison. What truly makes a killer kill? What motivates them to take innocent people's lives? On Monday, April the 23rd of 2018, Alec Minasayan set out to do the unthinkable. What started out as anger turned into ego-driven rage and tragedy after Minasayan drove through Toronto in a Chevrolet Express van looking to run over people. He went on a rampage that lasted only 10 minutes. However, for his victims and those witnessing it, it felt like forever. His victims include 45-year-old Botis Amaranjsing, 33-year-old Andrea Braddon, 83-year-old Geraldine Brady, 22-year-old Su Chong, 30-year-old Anne Domingo, 94-year-old Mary Beth Forsyth, 45-year-old Chol Kang, 22-year-old Ji Kim, 85-year-old Munir Najjar, and 80-year-old Dorothy Sewell. Additionally, 16 others were injured and survived this tragic incident. Often suggesting Minasan had misogyny and often felt rejected by women, he also embraced a young man known as the Supreme Gentleman, a young man named Elliot Roger, known for doing something similar in 2014 and documenting his plan on YouTube. Minasayan was found guilty of 10 counts of first-degree murder and 16 counts of attempted murder. Minasayan's vehicle ramming attack became the deadliest ever in Canadian history. This isn't the first time tragedy struck Toronto and in 2018, just a few months after Minasayan killed 10 people, Faisal Hussein shot and killed two people and wounded 13 in one of the worst shootings ever, the Danforth shooting. The victims included 18-year-old Reese Fallon and 10-year-old Juliana Kozis. After Hussein shot his victims, he turned the gun on himself. He was 29 years old. What motivates one to kill? Life isn't always what it seems, because even salt looks like sugar. Twenty-year-old Nathaniel Veltman seemed to have his act together. In fact, he seemed like any other normal young adult. From London, Ontario, Veltman worked as an egg factory worker and had a lot of goals. However, all that changed on Monday, June the 6th, 2021, when Veltman decided to engage in one of the most diabolical hate crime 
attacks on the Islamic faith. Veltman spotted a Muslim family and proceeded to run them over with his pickup truck by jumping the curb on the side of the road. The victims, which include 46-year-old Salman Afazal, 44-year-old Madia Salman, 15-year-old Yumna Afazal, and 74-year-old Talat Afazal. Salman and Madia's nine-year-old son, Fayez, managed to survive the entire ordeal, but has been aware that his family was murdered. Currently, Veltman faces four first-degree murder charges, as well as one attempted murder charge. His case is ongoing. What happens when a self-loathing, sadistic vigilante decides to take his anger out on innocent men? This is what happened in the case of Bruce MacArthur. Commonly known as the Santa Claus Killer, MacArthur murdered 44-year-old Salim Asan, 49-year-old Andrew Kinsman, 58-year-old Majid Khayan, 47-year-old Dean Lausawick, 37-year-old Kirashunna Kumar Kanagaratam, 42-year-old Abdulbasir Faizi, 40-year-old Skandaraj Navadantam, and 50-year-old Surosh Mahmoudi. Many of his victims were closeted gay men MacArthur would discover in gay bars. As he was a closeted case himself, he had a thing for masculine Middle Eastern men. Some of his victims' remains were found in flower pots on the property of 53 Malroy Crescent in the Toronto area of Leaside, an area where MacArthur kept some of his landscaping equipment. MacArthur's crimes span out for almost a decade which made his investigation the largest ever conducted by the Toronto Police Service. Many true crime theorists believe his victim count far exceeds eight. However, the exact count is unknown. In April of 2019, MacArthur was assaulted by an inmate at the Millhaven Institution a maximum security prison located in Millhaven, Ontario, where MacArthur is currently serving a life sentence of eight counts of first-degree murder. He is 69 years old and will not be eligible for parole until the year 2043. Ontario is my home. I grew up here. It is devastating to think so many sinister crimes occurred here, but not shocking. Why? Because even salt looks like sugar.
This is your host, Billy Hoosh, signing off. Thank you for tuning in to our Season 2 premiere. And as always, thank you for listening. Until we meet again, remember, not everything in life is what it seems, because even salt looks like sugar.